Hello and welcome to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Connie Chung. And I'm Kenny Gong. This is a show for budding real estate agents, whether you're new to the industry or seasoned and refining the fundamentals of your craft. Today, we're excited to introduce you to our guest and Washington, D.C.'s very own Harrison Beecher. Harrison has worked as a full-time realtor since graduating from Georgetown University in 2008 and is currently with Keller Williams running a team and giving back to the realtor community as a leader and trainer. I met Harrison back in 2016 when we were awarded National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30 Award and have always been in awe of his energy and magic for bringing people together. So welcome, Harrison. It's uh, such a pleasure to be here with you all today. And uh, thank you. So Harrison, you are a D.C. man through and through, born in D.C., went to high school in D.C., Georgetown, now working in the community as a realtor. What should we know about you and your relationship to D.C.? Man, I got a D.C. flag hanging right out in front of my front door. I am taxed without representation. (laughs) And uh, I know go-go music, which is the heartbeat and soul in terms of the city's sound through and through. Uh, and, and it's my pleasure to help people own a little piece of it. It's been cool to see it change. And it's our goal with everything we do to make sure we're a part of the change that's going on. But the, for the new folks coming in or just the residents here, make sure they understand the significant history that we are literally standing right on top of. Tell us a little bit more about go-go music for folks that don't know. Oh, absolutely. So there's an artist you may have heard of called Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. In the Mm -hmm. 70s, they were um, funk and soul musicians, created this whole form of like DC and DC metro area specific music that is percussion based. It brings a lot of the um, kind of church call and response, a lot of kind of African and uh, Caribbean uh, percussion in there as well. And it is awesome and it's so high energy and it's great live music. I love it. There's a, a fascinating and deeper kind of social narrative around it, how it was the music of people of color in the city. And for a time, it was banned mm-hmm. from being played at some of the most popular um, restaurants, bars, and clubs. Like when I was mm-hmm. when I used to DJ, you were not allowed to play it. But then just last year, there's been this whole resurgence of don't mute DC, don't like quiet the kind of ethnic roots and, and everything that makes the city what it mm-hmm. is. So it was just now named in the beginning of 2020, the official um music of DC. You studied visual arts at Georgetown and also studied theology. I'm curious, tell us how that has influenced the man you are today. When I decided to, you know, be licensed and go out and take a break from, you know, bartending and DJing at night, do something in real estate that paid me and allowed me to stay in the business, a team found me based off of a Craigslist Mm -hmm. ad saying that I would help them with their marketing, social media, and graphic design. And that opportunity from Craigslist with a a top producing team in the area is really what kind of allowed me to be stabilized and and get rolling and establish my career. So the art got me in. And then the theology um, background was really focused around social justice and giving back. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's really at the core of kind of everything we've done um, with my individual sales teams and now with my bigger team now um, by giving back and by being thoughtful and intentional about um, connecting our sales to social entrepreneurship. That's been at the core of, of how we've grown and why we're still doing well. Knowing that your origins in real estate were organic, but it also was a little bit just spontaneous with this random Craigslist ad. Before that happened, what were your thoughts about realtors, the real estate profession, um, real estate agents? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm one of those that came in right out of college. Like again, I graduated in May and sat for my test in June at the encouragement and impetus of. Um, 
you know, my best friend's mother, who's a broker, Ms. Sherry Sivertson. Love her forever. She's awesome. Because she knew that I was an entrepreneur and she knew that I was a local guy and that I had connections. She was uh, taught me early that like if you have relationships in this, you can do okay. So it didn't really mean much to me then because I was just following her advice. And quite frankly, I didn't have another plan. I really didn't have anything else. Um, so so for me, coming in to, to do it that way was was natural, but it was just kind of the right progression um, uh, to, to grow. And then, you know, from there, it, it just has been organic in that my natural strengths are being a connector of people. Like I had a bigger than normal social media network out the gate because I threw parties and had a, a big social sphere in college and being local. Yeah, so much of it based on connections, like you mentioned, and you're so well known for being a relationship-driven agent. What's your philosophy around relationships and relationship cultivation? To me, I think of every interaction um, as kind of like either a, a tree branch, right? Where um, if this one thing goes well, there's so many different opportunities that can come out of it, that can grow from it. But I have to be thoughtful and purposeful about that short time I have to interact with somebody. How can I make sure that they feel heard and that I'm paying attention to them and that there's some point of reference that I can, you know, abstract and, and understand and then hone in on that gets them to remember me too. And your relationships not only extend to your community in D.C. and to your clients, but especially to realtors across the country. And you have become such a brilliant hub for our professional community. What motivates and inspires you about being part of our community? When I get to hear the individual stories of people from everywhere, from Iowa to South Dakota to parts of Florida to L.A. to Arizona, right, like all these places all over, mm -hmm. um, it's so cool to see like how important they place the needs of their people, like how they are givers, how they are servant leaders. And it, it's inspiring, man. Like I want to give back because I see so many stories of people doing it at a high level. And I want to combat this narrative that some people that aren't in the business or look at it from the outside, think of us as just, you know, you know, commission breath, hungry salespeople know better than a, a you know, a door to door vacuum cleaner salesman. Like mm -hmm. I know that the truth is on the other side, especially people that do it at a high level. So I'm inspired to like, focus in on, tell those stories and encourage people to, you know, be those folks that are the leaders that are the business drivers that do so much for their communities. Okay. So talking pragmatically, what are three tangible things an everyday agent can do right now to cultivate better relationships? I think people need to start with the relationships they already have. Think about the people that they already know and how can they kind mm -hmm. of exponentially by pouring into them earn the right for that person to then tell their friends and tell others. So the first thing I'd say you want to do to build better relationships is, you know, kind of make a map, write them out, draw them out of kind of your closest 10 to 15 and think about mm -hmm. ways that you have connected with, helped and poured into them first, like start close to home. Um, mm -hmm. and, and by doing that, because there's an anxiety that people have, especially if it's someone that you were like, you know, we're all around the same age and there are friends we we're close with in college. And because of life, we haven't talked with them as much, right? Like we'll be a little anxious and we don't want to be random or come back to them with commission breath saying that we want something. But for that, you know, group of folks, if we can reach back out, check in, see ways that we can kind of reminisce on good times, especially now in the midst of COVID when folks are in the house, like people want to reminisce, people want to remember those good times and they probably want to hear from you too. If you show up in a positive way to connect, see how you can help and just be a friend to them again, from that, you can build the basis to, you know, get referrals and, and, and the other positive relationship benefits. So reconnecting with, you know, the folks, you know, is number one. 
Um, I'd say number two is thinking about if you already are in the business, um, the folks that are your auxiliary service providers, be it lenders, title, um, other folks around your world that you've had more transactional relationships with, see how you can level those up too. See how you can kind of strengthen and or pour into and or spend some time with them, right? If you have a, a robust business, a lot of people reach out to you and are always trying to you know, sell you stuff, get you to a lunch, get you to a coffee. Um, but mm-hmm. what we've done, especially during the pandemic, is kind of double back down on the close relationships that we've had and have worked with for a while. And before asking them for money for an event or for some other marketing thing we want to do together, um, just spend a little time to check in. So I know it feels like the same thing, but I want people to do that with both their sphere um, and their kind of business circle. Um, And then the last thing with relationships I'd say is look at your kind of second and third tier, both social media and kind of LinkedIn connections um, and pay attention to them in their lives and show gratitude. So or show gratitude or like support for what's going on. Um, I have LinkedIn connected to my Google Calendar. Um, And a hack that if you guys don't already have that done is whenever you're going to meet with somebody or plan something in your calendar, so long as your LinkedIn and Google um, Calendar are connected, uh, LinkedIn will then send you a notification about like what's going on in that person's life right before or or what's going on in the business world and their profile, like right before you meet and spending a little bit of time researching uh, on the people you meet with before you meet with them is such an interesting way to increase the kind of energy and the positivity in that convo because it shows that you like took a little bit more time to know what's going on with them and not too creepy right like don't stalk to facebook and talk about what they had for dinner last night but like know what's going on with them to the point where you can both show up encourage and make it different than just a transactional check-in or whatever like level up by showing that you're paying attention so i think the core of that last piece is paying more attention like making sure you're like paying attention to those folks that are on that kind of outside second and third tier sphere. And that will bring them in closer because everybody wants to be heard and acknowledged and know that, you know, someone's paying attention to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, there's so many little details that go into cultivating, nurturing, maintaining really authentic relationships. Are you someone who holds all of this information in your mind? Uh, I'll be blunt with you, man. I have never been good with any of my CRM mm-hmm. products. Like yes. my, my partners kind of hate me for it now because um, we are we're currently in Follow Up Boss uh, and we're switching to Command, which is our KW's platform as uh-huh. a way to kind of cut costs. And it is pretty robust as well. And my partner bugs me on and all of our check-ins to put my new contacts and my current leads into Command. Because right now you want to know where they live? In an Apple note, I have an Apple note that's on my home page <laughs> in my phone where I type the name and, you know, I have the contact saved, but it's like the name, like something about him, buyer, seller, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's there. And that's what I use for like my follow up. But they're yeah. like, dude, we have so much better technology. But I have mm-hmm. never been good at that because in the past, like names, details, faces, I've got a pretty freakish ability to keep yeah. most of mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. in my mind. And yeah. my, my wife always makes fun of me. She's like, how the hell do you remember that person, like that stuff? I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of do. Yeah. But I am reaching my natural limit. Like it, there are definitely people that I, you know, uh, forget. And I, I find myself apologizing more where I'll know some stuff, but I don't know everything. And that's probably age as well. I similarly have always been someone who can keep tiny, tiny details in my head. And it's something that 
I knew was just it just an innate ability. Um, and I leaned on it for years and years and years because I was like, I'm just it's 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 in my head. It's fine. I can see someone. I'll see their face. I I remember their name. I I remember exactly what we talked about last. And I've similarly been in in the situation where age and the number of people that I interact with is just now so many more. Um, that I'm now having to think about like, oh yeah, there's a reason why a CRM is a good <laughs> idea because it just elevates, you know, something that I have taken for granted, honestly. <laughs> so bringing it back to DC, you, I loved when you were talking about the connection between your background and expertise in theology and how it connects to your um, sense of social justice today and your involvement in community initiatives. And you've talked a lot about the importance of those, um, of all of the initiatives that you're, that you're involved in. You've talked a lot about the importance, especially for those that are unhoused and committing to finding homes for everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about more about your thoughts on that responsibility and that involvement in, in, in the community? Yeah, man, I think as, especially as, as real estate agents and that are grounded by, and realtors even bigger that are grounded by a code of ethics and um, a fiduciary duty to help, um, we who transact in, you know, the business of housing need to help folks with that basic human need. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, the, our commitment as a team is really around making sure that every program that is available in our city that helps um, you know, with modest means or, or not many, not much at all, um, you know, get access to home ownership. Like we are, are proud to say that for the housing purchase assistance program and the neighborhood assistance corporation of America, which are two of the biggest, um, like no down payment, low down payment products in the city, our team does more loans and helps more people with those programs than any other team. And that's, you know, been the foundation that I started on early because nobody else wanted it, right? Because they were harder back then. But from having built a system to navigate and help people through them, now that like more and more people need it because prices are going crazy, we can then leverage our positive position in the real estate community to get someone to work with one of our clients using that program, as right. opposed to somebody that has never done it before. Like we can help with some of those tricks of the trade. So I think, you know, it's just really important for us to like, uh, not just to chase the easy buck, which, you know, in hot markets, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of, um, but also spend a little bit of time and build a system around helping folks for those transactions that may be a little more challenging, that aren't home runs that are going to get rejected, right? Because some of their qualification isn't great, but by building a system around it and earning referrals through it, it's interesting the, the other kind of higher net worth or higher price points that come to you because of who you are as well. And I think agents, especially new agents, um, you know, everybody wants to come in and be like, oh, I'm a luxury agent. I'm like tagged as just this, like I only work in a certain price point and no shade to anybody that, you know, wants to be niche and specific, but to us, like always carving out a space to help everybody within our organization um, is kind of a non-negotiable for me and all my sales teams. And yes, it has led to me having a lot less hair on top of my head and it's been stressful and challenging, <laughs> but the, the most powerful part of that to me guys is, you know, some folks that I helped with one of these products like nine or 10 years ago, a young lady just came back to me to sell her home. Um, and it was in an up and coming mm -hmm. neighborhood just outside of the city. And she was able to realize almost $150,000 of equity from that sale. Mm -hmm. when we had to scrape together every single penny to get her mm -hmm. into the yeah. door. And that is the platform for her and her kids to now move on to different neighborhoods, school district, like all these things like that. I've seen the power mm -hmm. of it on the other side. And I still got paid. Like I still earned a living, mm -hmm. you know, from doing it. So it's not like, you know, I'm doing it out of the complete kindness in my heart. Like there is actual business opportunity in helping everybody. We just have to see it that way and have a system that still 
includes and helps folks. Mm -hmm. And you've also done a lot of work with homelessness in D.C., and that resonates really strongly for us, especially as agents in San Francisco. To be real, San Francisco is, of course, one of the most expensive, one of the most competitive markets in the entire country. And we also have incredible, incredible amounts of homelessness and people that are really struggling. And that dichotomy is something that is always so apparent and right in front of us. It's just, it's embedded in the world that we live in here in San Francisco and it's embedded in our profession here in San Francisco. I'm curious to know about homelessness in DC and your relationship as a realtor to homelessness in DC. Yeah. Um, and, and the first thing that comes to mind, Kenny, is the platform that we have. Like we spend so much time with marketing and attracting people to want to hire us to buy and sell listings and look at our, our marketing pieces and the stories we tell. And I just think of the power that that platform has to both elevate causes like helping people who are experiencing homelessness with some basic needs. Right. So we um, you know, always think about like utilizing our platform to partner with organizations that are actually on the ground helping people because there's kind of immediate needs for um, be the short term housing, be it for materials, be it for food, be it for, you know, all the different things that, that homelessness deprives you of. Um, and then there's longer paths, like helping people find solutions to long term uh, housing options. And again, D.C. does not have all the answers in any mm -hmm. in any sense. Um, I, I'm a proponent of the housing first model that gets people into a house and pairs them with resources to get them you know, out of chronic and long-term situation of experiencing homelessness. And the two organizations in DC that do a lot with that are Pathways to Housing DC um, and uh, Martha's Table uh, and uh, Martha's Outfitters, who are the groups that we work with a lot. And right now, what we do is both donate our funds and time to them, but then we elevate them. Whenever we have an event that gets a few hundred people in a place, we want to make sure that people in our sphere who have other resources and connections know about it too. And that they are not just donating their time to it, but, you know, thinking about donating money and donating their expertise and thought on it. Tell us a little bit more about how all of this relates to your sense of faith and theology. Yeah, I mean, definitely as a, as a man that has been blessed and, and realizes that, you know, nothing that I've, I've gotten has been uh, by accident or, or without the results of the heavy praying women, right, that, that helped raise me and took care of me and my family before, uh, it's my job, man. It's my obligation to, to share the abundance that I've experienced with others. And like I said, utilize the platform. Like that's what, uh, as a theology major, like the most important thing I learned uh, at the Jesuit institution that was Georgetown is that, you know, God or the idea of God can mean different things to different people, but at the core of m almost everybody's God is love, right? And how do we translate and physically show that love um, to me, it's by helping. Like, that's my love language, right? Like acts of service. Um, so how do I manifest and live what my idea of, of God or the God that's blessed and taking care of me? It's by giving it forward and paying it forward to others and showing an example for others. Because there's so much power in, like, it's something you choose to do yourself, but even more power in what you choose to do and bring others to do with you. There's no doubt that you just radiate with so much love and compassion and share your gift of knowledge. And I I'm have always been in awe of your using your platform to not just help your your 
your clients, but your community and also scaling that impact. And that's huge. Thank you. And we can do better, man. Like we, that's the thing for me. I'm always, as y'all know, right? Like as, as ambitious, you know, type A uh, salespeople, you know, one of the things that's a blessing and curse, right? That, you know, we've definitely been able to do well, but then I, I think you're probably seeing this too, is the, the kind of higher up you're able to go in any rung of business or success or whatever, you then see the folks a few steps ahead of you that are doing it like at a mm-hmm. whole different level. So that's who I'm constantly inspired by and why I'm not like mm-hmm. satisfied ever. Cause I just want to, you know, keep doing better so that I can do better and, and help more, right? Like that's, that's what it's about. On that note of doing better, we love talking about failures because they not only humanize us, but they show our strengths. So Harrison, tell us about one of your favorite failures where you learned a pivotal lesson and came out stronger because of it. Hmm. Well, the first that comes to mind is around communication um, with clients specifically and thinking that what I know is best and that they need to just kind of fall in line. This is something I learned uh, from an email mistake early of trying to prep a lender that I was working with about how difficult a potential client might be. But then I forwarded the client the email thread where I said that. (laughs) So lesson (laughs) failure there was, um, for one, the written word is very powerful and does not go away. So whatever you put in writing, as I tell my team, like be very careful and thoughtful of forwarded emails. Um, and two, when something is taken out of context or you are at a position where you, you know, proclaim to know the best or, or think that you're doing something in someone's best interest, but there's not the opportunity to give the context and give the explanation as to what you mean, it can really come back on you and, and bite you in the butt. So, you know, I definitely mm-hmm. don't know everything. Like I, as y'all know, we've when you've had a lot of reps and helping a lot of people with this, we have a pretty good idea of how things will go. But, you know, that lesson to me was that, like, don't ever try to put people in a box and make too many assumptions for them. If the way they act or the way they communicate is going to hurt them in this transaction or in what we're doing, sometimes they need to experience that. Like, it's not my job to completely insulate them from it. You know, I need to thoughtfully and respectfully express, you know, my objection or or my specific advice. But I, I don't need to go as far as trying to you know, save someone from themselves or, or prep mm-hmm. other parties for how somebody will be, especially not in writing, <laughs> and especially not in the thread that might get forwarded to them later. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we hear you. And That's I got fired, one. if that wasn't clear from that, the, the client fired. <laughs> and it was a pretty big deal. For it was a pretty big price point. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that was another kind of learning oh. point is that as you are growing up in, you know, price points and, and people's income levels and kind of just a level of sophistication that sometimes comes along with that, um, you as the salesperson have to stay in your lane and kind of respect their personality and understand them better as a person and not throw them into a box because, you know, this is a business of people. And the better we navigate like personality types and interpersonal relationships, the better we'll be. And, and we can't like blanket or or make assumptions, mm-hmm. especially in writing and especially in an email thread yeah. that might get forwarded to them. So. How how did you emotionally work your way out of that firing? Hmm. You want to know what, what's an honest and blunt answer to that, Kenny and Connie, is that I've always kept my eye on the pipeline and what I had coming in to where I don't dwell too long on one missed opportunity because, quite frankly, I haven't had that much time to like I've I've had Mm -hmm. to kind of attend to the more urgent people in the pipeline now or that are coming in to inquire so 
yes, um, that at that time, the sense of lost revenue was painful for me, right? It was, you know, less money than I thought I would make. Um, but at that time, I was just an independent agent and didn't even have any admin support. The difference now when there's, and there was an even bigger loss of a, a, a really um, high net worth client earlier this year um, that, you know, we can talk about if you'd like as well. But that hurt 15 times worse because that's not just, you know, lost the potential cushion of revenue for me that now goes through my team and our admin staff and their mm -hmm. bonuses and others. So that's kind of as your entities grow, as you, if, if that's people's path to grow a bigger business, your motivation to, you know, close, convert, do a good job and, and bring money to the pot extends beyond you because you have an obligation to the folks that, you know, you're sharing this pie with to continue to bring it to the table. So, you know, I navigated through it by being focused at the time on the next opportunity. Um, but now it's a balance between, you know, closing what you have, but always balancing and keeping in mind that pipeline and, and what's coming yeah. um, and dancing and balancing it all, as y'all know. Recently, you said that you quote Kendrick Lamar to calm the nerves of clients worried about the coronavirus's possible effect on property values. And of course, Kendrick Lamar is a major figure in hip hop, so he's already in the zeitgeist. But it was no less refreshing to read that. And it made me think, my gosh, like there's not a lot of top producers in our industry that are quoting Kendrick Lamar in the media. <laughs> and it was just another reminder to me of how diversity in our industry, especially at the top, is still such a huge issue. Yeah, no, I mean, for one, it's not being afraid to have your own flavor, and I call it sauce, and or culture yeah. expressed in what you do, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like that, I, I can't stress that enough to do. At the same time, you have to be good at what you do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I've, I've gotten to a point in terms of confidence to where I know that the product we put out, like what we do as salespeople, what I do when I speak and teach is at a level that I am, I am kind of given permission to put more sauce, individual flavor, whatever you want on it, and it's okay. But what's interesting to me about like the diversity challenge that we face is that you know, people think it that, you know, that is novel or interesting or whatever, just because there aren't enough people of different, mm -hmm. you know, races, persuasions, interest levels, taste that get to have stages to be heard and right. talk exactly. and have folks consume. So I'd say like a, a powerful part of, of what I've been able to do that started with the 30 under 30 platform with a national platform was to be able to show other people of color, other folks that love hip hop and love trap and ignorant music on the side, right? Like, it's okay. Like, we, we can be a lot of different things so long as, we, again, you do your business well, you work hard and do a good job there, you kind of earn the right to be, um, you know, more individual. But before you you get there, like, don't completely whitewash or completely, you know, be afraid to, to express some individuality on the way up. And, and I think it's really driven, Kenny, by who is, like, if you look at, and I love NAR, and I'm blessed to you being in NAR leadership and keep doing stuff, but look at who has always been at the top of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, look, it has always been, like, and it's just money in America, right? Like, money mm -hmm. things in America have been controlled by old white dudes. Like, they just have forever in, like, every category. Um, and it's changing slowly, um, but it's still based off of legacy and who had access to it before and who had a head start and, you know, a lot of really complicated things that, you know, are connected to race and racism and discrimination and everything in America. So every time I get a stage and platform, it's a difficult balance for me to consider from saying, how do I both inform, differentiate, 
mm-hmm. but not feed into a stereotype or narrative that people are like expecting, right? Like I want to mm-hmm. be something fresh and different and new, but also show that like, hey, I'm also really good at my job. And these are mm-hmm. the things that make me, you know, personable and an individual. So it's it's tough, man. It's so mm-hmm. hard. But I just hope that by by example, like if somebody sees that, then they can say, then a little, you know, a little nerdy white dude from Iowa can say, you know what? I also really love Kendrick Lamar and know that verse as well. And it's okay for me to say that in the same way as a, you know, black dude from DC can say it too. Yeah, it always has to be reiterated that when we're thinking about people of color, especially black people in the U.S., that there's this intrinsic knowledge that folks know that they have to do twice as hard to get half as far. And Mm -hmm. that's the reality that we all have to talk about. When we're thinking about equity in the U.S., it has to come with the acknowledgement that that we have to like that you had to put on so many of those different layers in order to say, okay, I'm going to feel good about proclaiming that I talk to my clients about Kendrick Lamar. And there's so many layers that we have to go through in order to exist, exist in this industry, but especially exist at the top. So my next question is also, how does all of that inform how you run your business and life with your team, especially on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Oh man, I love this. And and for me too, I, I am excited by and encouraged by thoughtful conversations around race, around diversity, mm-hmm. around kind of difficult subjects, because I think the more people are in a space where they are given permission to like safely talk about it without, you know, being attacked or being afraid of all this extra emotion that's packed into it, that's kind of the only way that we're going to be able to progress and you know, like move forward. Like there has to be space for dialogue first. Um, but quite frankly, like kind of just what you were saying, like that that phrase of, uh, you know, the same effort from a person of color yields, you know, half the result sometimes. Like that is an emotionally charged and driven statement. And some people take that as an accusation and be like, well, no, but I'm not doing that. I'm not stopping them. It's like, no, but there's, you know, slavery mm-hmm. and lots of old kind of intrinsic systems that, that mm-hmm. went in there. So with us and how we run our business now, I think it's a a doubling down and focusing on uh, 10x customer experience, right? Like being really, really good. Like you said, being better than good um, first, but then also being able to highlight the successes and stories. Like if you look down my Instagram feed of the people that I help buy, pretty beautiful and sometimes expensive homes in DC, it's a very diverse group of people that we help. And, and that's, mm-hmm. I think, important. And I'm not like trying to, you know, say, oh, I'm going to just show this client today and that client tomorrow. Like it reflects like everybody that I get the good fortune to work with and they are diverse. Like that is that is my world. So, I, you know, I want to show it as like the story of success that can come and does come when you are thoughtful and connected and helping everybody and realizing that, you know, I'm black. Some people are white. Money is green. Like how do we navigate the <laughs> rules of the green money that we all need to buy things? So that you can then be in the circles that maybe black people were not allowed to be in before. And you can advocate and you can be that person that's a personal example that might change somebody else's mind or that might open them up to a different perspective. So I think with us, it's about being good first and realizing that Mm -hmm. access and being able to be at the table and have a seat in the room really means a lot. So so how do we help our clients uh, get to the table? And then how do I help other young people of color step up into NAR? And be in the room mm-hmm. that I was in. And, and I'm replacing myself with somebody of a, a similar or different experience that brings a different conversation and a different perspective. Because because mm-hmm. it, it makes everybody better for it when they realize that all these things that I thought made us so different, right? 
let's put, oh, this, this is an other, that person's an other. When you sit and you have a shared experience, you may realize that, huh, yes, there are a lot of things that make us other, but I'll be darned if there aren't a lot of things that we have in common too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can be and that's a whole different, deeper conversation about my experience in the South and, um, you know, coming mm. from the South and seeing like the really conservative and different kind of country, white folks and real country, black folks, and how that they liked and talked about and did the same thing, but they just always hated each other right next to each other. And I was just like, what? Like seeing it from the outside, I was just, yeah. So that, that type of sociological stuff fascinates me and, and having it been a part of my life has given me space and permission to talk about it more. So, you know, that's why. I yeah. excited to talk about it. And how do you, when you think about bringing folks into NAR, more people of color, diversifying that space, what does that actually look like for you? It starts and has started with people that have reached out to me directly um, when they are mm-hmm. either newer agents or affiliates that see my name, picture, and face in Realtor mm-hmm. Mag stuff or mm-hmm. in NAR stuff or on publications. Um, and when they will reach out and say, oh, dude, I'm like so inspired by you. You have some time. Can you talk to me? The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. I'm mm-hmm. so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was, I was in Milwaukee um, with a young man who's leading their network. Um, and again, Milwaukee um, is an, another kind of interesting city that's had some really, uh, really tough kind of racial uh, history, racial stuff that's happened, like every American city, right? But Milwaukee um, uh, specifically. So there's a book called Evicted. That's about Milwaukee mm-hmm. in the 70s. That yep. Everybody needs to read. If you never read it, it's really good. Um, but I made a point to when I saw him at one of the, the national events because um, he had reached out to me. I'm like, yo, one on one, me and you, like, let's talk. We talk about your business, talk about life. Like, what will it take to get you into more leadership stuff in your area? And quite frankly, a, a lot of it was me telling him that he needed to do it and that there were actually good benefits for it. One of the side effects of privilege that people don't realize is that the power of these networkings and of networking and of building a strong network isn't tangible right away. And it takes time away from maybe the direct line revenue generating activity. Mm -hmm. But over time, the cumulative effect of building a strong network and people knowing you does have fiscal impact. And folks that come Mm -hmm. from privileged backgrounds realize that, right? Because that's how that works. But if if you're not in that world or you're new to it, you don't know that until somebody tells you and brings you along. So for me, it's the... When folks reach out and raise their hand, I'm all over it. But even when I see a face, like I, you know, I want to help everybody and love everybody. But when I see, you know, any type of brown or black faces at any of these events, I'm more excited to encourage them. Mm. Say, Thank you for being here. I notice you. You're needed. And I want you to show up mm. even more, even if it's uncomfortable in some of these other spaces, because your voice is needed. Mm. And by them hearing that from me, they're encouraged. And this dude stepped up to be his YPN chair locally mm. um, after that convo. And, and that makes a big difference, you know? We're huge advocates of representation and that believing that representation matters and having a seat at the table matters and bringing in folks to that table is so important. And I was just thinking, Karison, what does it mean to you to be a leader, not only in the DC community, but the community at large with NAR, to bring in folks of color who can look up to you and think like, wow, he looks like me. I can do what he's doing. Uh, I mean, it, it means so much. Um, you know, I've always been one that when tapped or when offered, I've, I've rarely said no um, when someone's kind of invited me or asked me to do it. That's been both my blessing uh, and curse uh, over time. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm in these spaces where I am invited, uh, I've got kind of a competitive and drive thing in me that says, well, I want to make sure that by them inviting me, they know that I am bringing something to the table and contributing positively. Um, and, you know, I want others to kind of, that maybe don't have that same 
um, over the top overachiever drive like me to realize that their their presence and their representation, even if it's to to vote or speak up or listen to or hear or better understand inner workings, is so important. Like it's just so important, uh, and I'm gonna you know keep doing it. Like that's that's why I keep. Uh, you know, when being tapped and being voluntold, that's why I keep saying yes. And basically tell my wife tells me to stop um, and keep my butt at home. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep saying yes. <laughs> I can imagine. Connie just mentioned representation matters. And to me, when I dig in deeper into that phrase, what I think about is the importance of possibility and the importance of seeing possibility. When you don't see someone doing something, you can't envision yourself doing that sometimes, or you can't envision yeah. ex- exceeding that. And oh, yeah. and when I think about Barack Obama being elected to that office was a pivotal, incredibly important moment in our entire country. Huge. Entire, Huge. Yeah. for in generations. Yeah. Generations. I mean, I'd argue in the world, most powerful country in the world to have a, mm. a, a brown man running it. I mean, and sorry to cut you off, Kenny, but the no, most powerful no. part of it is when other little black boys, right, mm-hmm. that were, you know, that are now teenagers and older, were able to see like, oh, look, this is, it's normal for the most powerful person in the mm-hmm. world to be a black man, mm-hmm. right? Like, to, like the possibility part of it is so huge. And again, for folks that either grew up in privileged or communities where, you know, th- there was, it's not a surprise for mm-hmm. white people of European descent to run stuff and to be wealthy and to be in charge in movies and to be, you know, in all these roles and all the media and everything you see. Um, but just that possibility as, as power. Oh man, I love that. We could, we could talk for hours about that. (laughs) There's so what do you Harrison envision for the future of the real estate industry for the real estate profession? What do you see? Hmm. I see, Right now, um, I mean, again, kind of COVID-19 and how that's kind of thrown a lot of the person-to-person, belly-to-belly, right? Like, how many sales trainings have you gone to? Like, business is always belly-to-belly. We're going to keep doing it belly-to-belly forever. Um, I think that the expectations of what had to be in person before um, are thrown out of the window. Like, you can do so much more and probably should do so much more remotely and virtually. So I think that Mm -hmm. will continue, and I think it'll... For those that have the right systems and embrace it, like as we all are, um, not just because you have to, but because you should, the efficiency that that virtual consultations and virtual elements of the transaction are going to allow folks to do more and better business. And I think it'll be kind of the consumer expectation um, in the future. So I I don't think that will go back um, in the same way after this. So the future will continue to be um, virtual and more efficient through virtual means. Um, I think and know that just as the world gets um, browner and blacker and, and, you know, we become more diverse um, uh, just because of kind of the the movement of people and things like that, that wealth and the concentration of wealth will hopefully um, start to move into different circles and people will have a a different opinion and view of what uh, wealth and money looks like. I think that's a much longer term thing, but I look forward to a time when you know, folks understand that, you know, you can be uh, from a lot of different places and, and come with pretty significant 
you know, assets and resources. And, and that's one of our goals with, you know, our mission as a team is to be the bridge to our community for all things real estate, lifestyle and wealth building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of generations. Right. Um, but over the course of a couple generations, like you can really change a lot of people's perspectives, realities and experiences. Um, and I'd like to believe we're starting that right now with what we're doing. So I'd like to think that the future um, will be much more diverse. Our podcast is called The Thoughtful Realtor. What does it mean to you to be a thoughtful realtor? Mm. Commanding the details. Um, I've said this a lot lately because uh, I think it's important as we try to connect with people over virtual mediums and we're not as in person as we were before. What makes a thoughtful realtor or a good realtor on that you know, perspective is someone that can command and understand the details. Not that you have to know everything or should know everything, but that you really become someone that kind of doubles down on, you know, what people need, what happens in your area, what's available in your area, um, and being a connector, like someone that's thoughtful is commanding and has a really good understanding of those details, and they share those with people. And by sharing them with them, they are earning the right to do business and be referred and kind of grow their world even bigger. So, you know, the thoughtful realtor is someone that commands and masters those details. Mm. Mm, That's great. Thank you for that. And Harrison, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at HLBeach, B-E-A-C-H. I always joke like the beach you swim in. (laughs) Um, And then our our business pages are Coalition Properties, C-O-A-L-I-T-I-L-N Properties on both Instagram uh, and Facebook, but my preferred is that HL Beach on Instagram. Um, and we got a dope new website too, coalitionpg.com, that has some of our videos and other content and stories about us. So I am everywhere and would love to talk to folks. That's fun. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so, so, so much to Harrison Beecher for spending some time with us. You, Harrison, are a true inspiration and a fount of wisdom, especially around building those strong relationships that not only make a great career, but also make for a really great life. And you illustrate how to just show up for your community, how to commit and how to give back. So thank you so much for your time today and for continuing to inspire not only us, but generations and generations of realtors. Thank you guys. This is awesome and love what you're doing with the the podcast and, and just keep it going. Thank you. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you so much for tuning in today for another episode of The Thoughtful Realtor. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. If you've got a friend or a colleague who might benefit from this episode, please share because we're all about spreading the love. Until next time.